The lectionary provides us uh, two readings today uh, from which I will preach. Uh, First from the Gospel of Matthew in chapter 4 and then from the first letter to the Corinthians uh, in chapter 1. Now these uh, readings seem to be particularly suited for this particular moment and for the the needs of our congregation on this occasion. And I'm very grateful that we can be together to have the Word of God to help shape our consciousness and uh, direct our living. The reading from the third uh, chapter of Matthew, fourth chapter of Matthew, uh, continues the narrative wherein uh, Jesus had been baptized by his cousin John in the River Jordan. Jesus had been baptizing all the people who came to him. And when he went and came up out of the water and heard the voice from heaven saying, You are my son, my beloved, with whom I am well pleased, he'd gone out into the desert for 40 days of prayer and fasting, contemplation, discernment, and then returned. And after a period of time, his cousin John, who was also an itinerant preacher, was arrested. And Jesus stepped, as it were, into the vacuum left by John. Now when Jesus heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew to Galilee. He left Nazareth and made his home in Capernaum by the sea, in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what had been spoken through the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Namely, land of Zebulun, land of Naphtali, on the road by the sea across the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who sat in darkness have seen a great light, and those who sat in the region in the shadow of death, on them light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to proclaim, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. As he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of people. Immediately, they left their nets and followed him. As he went on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John, in the boat with their father Zebedee, mending their nets, and he called to them. Immediately, they left the boat and their father and followed him. We can become so familiar with these stories that we forget to recognize, to feel um, the truly radical nature of what's transpiring here. Jesus has come back preaching essentially the same message as his cousin John who had baptized him to repent. Repentance means to turn around, to set yourself in a different direction, to reorient your lives to God's intention for your life, to make God again the focus of your life. Repent, he says, because the kingdom of heaven has come near. Repent, turn around, 
for living here and now. Repentance, salvation, is not about what comes to us in the by and by. Salvation is not something that kicks in when our heart stops beating. Salvation is the present reality and how we're going to live our life here and now. For the kingdom of heaven is not off in the sky, it's here in our midst. What would we do if someone came walking down our street saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near? More than likely, we would lock the door doubly and call, what's that number? 911. But people are coming to him. And here, in the call of Andrew and Peter, James and John, he re- the people respond immediately to his invitation, to his call. So why are we Christians? Anyway. I mean, I'm a Christian because that's the pond in which I was born. You have to swim where you live, right? You have to swim in the pond where you find yourself. If I'd been born in uh, Delhi, more than likely I would be a Hindu. Or if I'd been in Mumbai, more than likely a Muslim. Or if I'd been born in Bensonhurst in Brooklyn, I would be a Hasidic Jew. Why am I a congregationalist? Because that's what my people do. Sunday morning they said, get in the car, we're going to church. And off we went. So those of us who are cradle Christians are some, in a sense, at a disadvantage. Because it's not so much a matter of our response to a specific invitation to a call to a different way of life. Jesus is calling these people to a different way. Come and follow me. They have no idea what they are getting into. They have not heard his proposed action plan for bringing in the kingdom of God. They haven't subscribed to his position paper on how to make things better. They simply go. The person of Jesus is why they go. Dietrich Bonhoeffer and his seminal work, The Cost and Joy of Discipleship. I know you're already tired of me quoting Bonhoeffer, but get used to it. In his seminal book, The Cost and Joy of Discipleship, when he's walking down the road and he passes by the tax collector's booth where Matthew is working, he turns to Matthew and says, come and follow me. And Matthew got up and went and left behind the tax collector's booth and all the revenue just sitting there and just went. And Bonhoeffer writes about Jesus' charisma. Not charisma like we use it in a sort of haphazard way in describing politicians, for instance. But this spiritual power that emanated from him. It's not what they follow. It's not the program to which they subscribe. It's not a belief that somehow things will get better. The question is, who do they follow? To be a Christian... To be a follower of Jesus is to follow a person, this person, Jesus, and to go where he calls us to go. Now, of course, 
Bonhoeffer goes on to say later in the book, when Jesus calls a person, he bids you come and die. That would never get through a Madison Avenue ad agency. When Christ calls a person, he bids you come and die. Not die, but die to yourself. Die to your own self-interest. Die to your own benighted, limited vision and fall into the larger loving vision, the, the sense of shalom, the establishment of justice, the salvation of the world, into the realization that you are beloved child of God, and to become part of the band of followers, the 12 and then the 70 disciples and those who have followed along with them like ourselves, to live in the world and to serve the world in such a way that other people will come to know that they are the beloved children of God. That's what it means to be saved to live in the conscious understanding that you are beloved of God. It's a high and holy calling. And this passage, this moment, invites us to a deeper understanding of our identity. Now sometimes identity, of course, is fashioned and forged over time. It's the accumulated experiences of our lives. It's the things that we learn and the, the moments and we come to deeper understandings and that's how we choose who we shall be. But sometimes, you know, right, how things come, like Andrew and Simon and James and John, in a moment. So 1978, 77, I was in Boston working at the New England Deaconess Hospital. And I was standing in front of the elevator on the floor where I worked, and the door opened and people started to come out. And then the last person to come out was a nurse. I'd never seen her before, never talked with her before, didn't know her name. But when I saw this person, I said, I'm going to marry that person. And I did. Now, the truth of the story is that this person asked me a question, and I responded, gave her the direction she was looking for, and off she went. Jerry has no memory of our encounter. <laughs> when I said, oh, you know, we met, she said, we did? Yeah, anyway. So, sometimes life is like that. It's a snap. It happens. But more often than not, it's the accumulated experiences of our lives. In whatever way it comes to us, the deepened identity in who we are and what we are called, who we are called to be. Now, the early church, of course, those who decided to follow in the way of Jesus, particularly in the earliest years, there, was no, there were no cradle Christians in the first few decades. These were people who had chosen, joined a new community. And Paul wrote to one of the communities that he had founded, at Corinth, he wrote back to them in his first letter to address uh, certain issues of concern for him because he had heard about the dissension and the arguments and the divisions that were, which were overtaking this uh, multicultural, multilingual, uh, socioeconomically diverse um, community. Some people were of great wealth and others were extremely poor. Some were Jews and some were Gentiles. Uh, some were from far away, and others were native Corinthians, and these divisions were 
that separated them in society was becoming a source of division and disharmony within the church. And so Paul writes to them, Now I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you be in agreement, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind, in the same purpose. This is one of Paul's overarching concerns, that the church live in peace. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there are quarrels among you. What I mean is that each of you says, I belong to Paul, or I belong to Apollos, who was another evangelist, or I belong to Cephas, the Hebrew name for Peter, or I belong to Christ. Has Christ been divided? asks Paul. Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except for Crispus and Gaius, so that no one can say that you were baptized in my name. And then in a parenthesis, as though he's thinking about another person you might have baptized, he writes, I did baptize also the house of Stephanus, and beyond that I do not know whether I baptized anyone else. And parentheses. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to proclaim the gospel, the good news of God's love, and not with eloquent wisdom, so that the cross of Christ might not be emptied of its power. For the message of the cross is foolishness for those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Amen. This deep insight of Paul recapitulated in the wisdom of our current day prophet, Reverend Martin Luther King, Jr., that the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved it is the power of God. Humility, my friends, humility lies at the heart of the gospel and of the Christian life. To be a follower of Jesus means to trust in the wisdom and the, the providence of God shown forth in the life of a community and the shared decisions, that none of us belong to one leader or to another, but that we all belong to Christ. As Americans, this is a a bitter pill to swallow. The idea that we belong to someone else. The idea of autonomy and independence and self-reliance is so thoroughly bred into our consciousness that it's hard for us to imagine being fully and completely reliant upon someone else who is no longer just a colleague or one who is below us, but one who is above us, who leads us, who shows us a different way of being. This is the heart of the message, and this is why the hope of the church is real, in that our life together is not shaped by human design, but by the shared wisdom of a community joined together in love. For Jesus did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but rather emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, and being faithful unto death, even death on a cross. Paul to the Philippians. 
He emptied himself to become one of us. This is what it means for us. Andrew, Peter, James, John, you, me, everyone who calls on his name to follow the one who is trustworthy and who loves us and who saves us in the consciousness of the beloved community. Amen.